Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemmy.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during the season. And now, a special message by Pastor Ed Stetzer. It says this, beginning at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Goes on to explain that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. What a great church that sounds like. Now Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, is a summarizer. He has a habit of summarizing things, and that's what he's doing here. He'll sort of give us specific details, and he'll sort of summarize together what they've done. And that's what this is. This is kind of a summary of what the church did. It's not the only thing the church did, but it's a summary of what the church was doing. And it kind of reminds us that the church, uh, particularly in its local smaller expressions, is to be a counterculture community, really for the good of the broader community. We're going to look at that, and we're going to look here at what Luke says and what that looks like in ultimately Luke's description. Excuse me. And in doing so, I think we'll be able to shape, shape our own ideas in and around what community looks like. We're going to look at four things today. So if you have your notes, you do me a favor, just take it out, wave it at me. Would you do that? Because that's always a good thing to have. I don't see a lot of waving going on up there in the, in the bow. There you go. There you go. All right, I appreciate that. Some guy just grabbed a towel and started doing this like it's a football game. That wasn't what I was looking for. But four things I want us to see today. The first thing is, is that we are shaped by our community. You can jot that down in the notes if you'd like. We are shaped by our community. I hope you don't, know, you don't miss that. There is a sense that the way we live and with whom we live is going to shape us. We're going to be shaped in our community, and that community ultimately is going to be, be, uh, be speaking into us. We're going to be speaking into it, and we're going to be shaped by it. Let's take a look at the verse that speaks to that. Uh, that's verse 42. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the key word here is the word devoted. I'd like you to say that word out loud with me, whatever campus you are. If you're watching at home online, would you say it with me? Devoted. Let's say it again. Devoted. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are four things that they were leaning into. They devoted themselves to those things. And in doing so, what they actually saw was it shaped who they were. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, why? Because we're shaped by our community. We are shaped by our community. Right now, the culture, the context, the world's getting more and more maybe disruptive or angry, but what a week we've had with the division in our country. And at this time, I think it's only going to get worse. Now, I don't know for sure, right? I can't predict the future. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, and I, I work at a nonprofit organization. Um, <laughs> But it seems like it's only getting worse, right? We've got all this division in our community and in our society, and yet the church of Jesus Christ is to be this place of unity where we're kind of drawn together, making a difference in one another's lives and in the world, and in doing so, we're being shaped by our community to be a counterculture community to the broader community to show them what it looks like to live in love and peace with one another. Now, if that's the case, oh, yeah, let's start out talking about this clapping thing, okay? Okay. 
I've noticed at Christ Fellowship, we kind of have this thing where we're not sure if we're clapping or we are going to clap. Either get in or get out. Just pick it and go from there. I don't mind either way. I got no need for you to clap, but if you're going to step in, then let's do this and get it done, all right? That's all I'm saying. So, so again, they did these things together. There was kind of a sense of community that was there. Look with me at Galatians 6.2. It says this, carry each other's burdens. Read those four words aloud with me. Are you ready? Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Let me tell you, there are uh, kind of different levels of engagement in church life. Some churches are cordial churches, right? They're friendly. You come in, someone will greet you. Maybe they even got someone out front to greet you. And we have that. We're cordial, so that's friendly. Then there's a caring church, right? They, they're sympathetic, maybe empathetic to the situation that you're in. And we're, we're caring. But another level, the level we desire is to be a carrying church, is to be a carrying church. We said together a minute ago, carry one another's burdens. So how are you going to get to be a carrying church, not a caring, not a cordial? You're going to get to be a carrying church when we're actually engaged in one another's lives. It doesn't just mean showing up. It doesn't just mean showing up at the 1045. It doesn't just mean showing up at a service time with a number. Because I got to tell you, I did that on the way here, right? Yesterday, I got on a flight from Dallas to Miami, an American Airlines flight. I think it was 244. It had a number, and it had a time, right? You're in the second service today, and it had a time to start. Well, I was on a, on a flight that had a certain time and had a certain number. I was in association with a couple hundred people. So we all went to the gate at the same time. We all sat there miserably and unhappy. And then I'm not saying that. You know, I know American Airlines has a hub in Miami. I love American Airlines. No judging there. But it's just air travel is not exactly a blast anymore, so... So then a lady gets on and says, all right, we're going to board flight. I think it was 244. And they line up, right? And there's two lines, one for the people who are special and one for the rest of us. <laughs> Until you load into the plane and, and then you get into your seats, right? So we all got a number, right? We're American flight so-and-so. We got a time just like we do here. We got a 1045 service and we got, we got the, the service time and the number. And everyone lines up just like you can here. You can like board in a plane, right? You line up. And now we usher you to your seats, which is kind of special and fancy. So you line up. That's what we did. We all got in our plane. We got in our impossibly small seats. We sat down. We were together. We were in association with one another. And then we took off. And that association was, I mean, it wasn't close. I, I tried to talk to the guy next to me. I said, how are you doing? He goes, all right. In other words, don't talk to me, dude. So I got out my Bible and started looking over there. You want to talk about this a little bit there, chief? Um, wasn't so excited about that. But so, so I just started a conversation, didn't want to have one, okay, fine. So then we're flying from Dallas to Miami. We go through Pensacola, and we hit storms, right? All of a sudden, everybody's having a spiritual experience getting right with Jesus. I mean, just praying to the Lord. I want to stand up and say, this could be your day of salvation. I want to, but I don't. The guy next to me had his opportunity. He missed it. Um, but I'm just thinking, you know, we're not, we're still, I don't know any, you know, none of, all, some of, we're all in fear of our lives. It wasn't that bad, but I'm kind of a pansy when it comes to travel. And I'm like, ah! And so everyone's thinking about death, and yet nobody's talking to each other. Why? Because we're in association with one another. We're not participating in one another's lives. I bet if I started just as I am, singing a song right then, a lot of people might have joined in and got right with Jesus, you know? No atheists in turbulence, but anyway, that's another story of another day. Um, <laughs> 
So then we land in Miami, right? We're a couple minutes early, so there's no gate for us, of course, so we lose that time. We get off the plane, we go through the gate, and our association has ended. We have never gone from association to participation, and what I just described actually sounds to a lot of you like your engagement with Christ's fellowship. You get in, you go through there, someone greets you, someone tells you when you leave, say bye-bye, bye-bye, just like the flight attendant, bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. And someone nice greets you on your way out, but then there's turbulence and you don't talk to one another, nobody's engaged or involved in your life, you haven't moved from association to participation, and the early Christians were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, because they weren't just sitting next to each other, they were living life with each other. You see the distinction? And it's so essential that we get it. And look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You know, the only way you can do that is being in community. This is not community. This is celebration. And thank God for that. We had a great gathering of worship. We partake in the Lord's Supper together. We hear the word of God preached and taught by Pastor Rick and others faithfully and week after week. And thank God for that. But for many of you, when I go up to you and I say, do you love your church? You say, I love my church. What you refer to is the music and the preaching. And that takes place up here. You're affirming what you see on the stage while you're unengaged in what should be in your life. Did that go from preaching to meddling there? Was that a little too much? I can stop. I can hold off on that. I actually know, statistically, about 60% of you are involved in small group community at some level. And some of you may be restarting after the summer, and that's part of it. You're involved at some level. But we want you at Christ Fellowship to move from association, service time and service number, like a plane, airline, number, and time. We want you to move from association to participation. To do that, you're going to have to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles to getting in community with some other people. And that's about 40% of you are not yet now there. So that means, for 40%, that means thousands of people at Christ Fellowship are coming in, following the schedule, and coming in the service time, and leaving, having association without participation. They might love their church, but when they say they love their church, they mean they love the music and the pastor. Listen, I love the music and the pastor too. But when I, when you say... When I hear you say, I love my church, I want you to mean that you love the group of people that you're walking through life with. And that's the difference, isn't it? See, we're shaped by our community. We're shaped by it. And if we're shaped by it, we're going to live in community with others. Let's keep going. Number two in our outline. Spiritual habits are actually formed in community. Number two, spiritual habits are actually formed in community. Let's take a look at it. This is going to be in verse 43. It says this. Everyone was filled with awe. Maybe sometimes you feel like, oh, i got to go to church. That's not that awe. It's awe. Everyone's filled with awe, right? Leave it up there for just a minute. But in classical Greek, phobos means awe or reverence in something that, like a god or a deity or some exalted person that we're not even worthy to be in the presence of. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, miraculous things were taking place. Then it says, all the, don't miss that, all the. Now, you see at the beginning, it says, everyone was filled with all the. There's a plurality here. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. 
Some of you have been trying to live the Christian life alone. You're trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian. Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. And unless you're a certain age, some people are like, who in the world is the Lone Ranger and Tonto? Google. Google is your friend. Um, Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to get that close to people. I want to start selling my stuff and giving it away. Is that what you're telling us to do, is to sell our stuff and give it to you, Ed? Yes. No, I'm not. No. This was something that God called this specific group of believers at a specific time to do, and they did. And praise God for them being obedient to it. I have friends who have sold everything to go be missionaries across the other side of the world. They left everything behind except a little box. Matter of fact, when Don and I moved to Buffalo to plant a church among the urban poor 30 years ago, we sold everything but my books, a chair that our father had given us, and we moved up to Buffalo. So there are times when God calls us to give it all away and share it with his people. That's pretty unusual in the Bible. But what we find is, is that they had a deep level of community, right? These things that they did, worshiping, they were in awe. There were signs and wonders. They were devoted, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All these things were taking place in a deeper sense of community. Don't miss this, because spiritual habits, number two, spiritual habits are formed in community. Now, this shapes you. Your community shapes you. I mean, there's a famous verse that people have quoted many, many times, not even knowing it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now you say, Ed, does that mean I can't be around people who are sinners and bad and a mess? No, 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 because I'm, some, I'm sometimes a mess. I'm around people, and you're around people, and people need Jesus, and Jesus, he would hang out with tax collectors and sinners and more. But what is shaping you is the community to which you constantly reflect the community to which you constantly engage because it shapes you and you get discipled by the community with which you interact. Let me explain. Um, For some people, they're being discipled hours a day by their cable news channel into a way of thinking. I notice I didn't say which one, but they're being discipled by their cable news channel into a way of thinking. For other people, they're being discipled hours a day by this screen on their phone. They look at it. They're walking around, falling into potholes because they can't see because they're looking at their phone. But for hours a day, they're being discipled. And I want you not to miss this, right? So here's my, here's my phone. I can open it up, and I go to Facebook, and, and it's all right here. It's all right here in front of me. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? On the other side of this screen are 10,000 or thousands, tens of thousands of people whose job it is to get me back to this screen so it can shape me and it can disciple me. And what it's doing for a lot of people, it's making a mad and angry and cynical and aggressive, and they're not glorifying Jesus in the way they interact on social media. And i got to tell you, some of you need to submit your social media to the lordship of Jesus. I have looked online sometimes, and I'll see some of the meanest comments on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I don't go on Pinterest because I'm a guy. Um... (laughs) But I've seen some of the meanest comments come, and I click on them. I say, who in the world would say such a terrible thing? And the first line in their bio is, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And if you're turned into an angry person on social media, that's not Jesus growing in your life. That's anger or outrage growing in your life. 
Yeah, bad company corrupts good character. The alternative is get in a community that shapes your character. And you know, it's so key to a large church like ours. You need to take the effort. And that's why we have Group Connect, right? That's why in your program you can follow along. Why do we have Group Connect? Because we need you to take a step of effort. It's not so hard in social media, right? Every morning I get up, I use my phone as my alarm clock like many of you do. And when I wake up, there's this little red bell that's on Facebook that says, come see what's going on. (laughs) What cool thing happened? Don't miss out. It happened last night while you were sleeping. And don't be discipled by your social media and your cable news network. Get into a community with some people who speak into your life. You say, well, I'm an introvert. I'm not comfortable doing that. And I get that. I'm not an introvert. You may have probably (laughs) noticed that. But Donna, my wife is, right? Matter of fact, I have three daughters. They're all extroverts. So it's Donna. Three daughters and dad are all extroverts. Donna's an introvert. So as a birthday or a Mother's Day gift, we all go away for the day just to give her the opportunity to have some peace and quiet. (laughs) Happy birthday. Um, But you know what Donna tells me? She tells me that the small group is the place, rather than the large gathering, the small group is the place where she, as an introvert, develops deep relationships that shape her life. You see, I don't want you to miss this. Spiritual habits are formed in community. Right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. There was awe because they were worshiping God together. Right? They were giving and caring for one another. They moved from being a cordial church to a caring church to a carrying church that carried one another's burdens. I don't want you to miss this because here's the reality. Sometimes people complain about a big church. Well, I got a big church. I can't. It's easy to fall through the cracks. Actually, it's easy to fall through the cracks in any church over 100 people. Because most research shows us that, that you only know, even a big church or a small church, if you, know, if you have a church of 150, you probably only know 100. If you're in a church of 10,000, you probably only know 100 by, by name and distance. So what does that mean? We've got to intentionally, and we ask you to partner with us. This is why people at all of our campuses are outside. You can meet small group leaders here at Group Connect. We've got activities to connect with. You heard it on the video. It's not just, I mean, it's not just like some of you are like, well, what do you do? It's not walking in and saying, what's your deepest, darkest sin and struggle? I mean, I moved to Chicago two years ago, joined a small group, right? First thing I didn't, I didn't go in and say, hey, let me tell you about my darkest sin. You know why? Because they would have all left. I didn't get to know me first. But can I tell you now, they can speak into my life, and they can say, Ed, let me encourage you to grow in this area. And if there's nobody who speaks into your life to say, let me encourage you to grow in this area, you're trying to do alone what God intended to be, do, to be doing with others. Now, I want you to see differently, right? And groups shape us to see differently, that change our lenses through which we see the world, right? So I wear, I wear glasses. How many of you wear glasses? Just raise your hand. Four eyes. So they called me as a kid, right? Four eyes when I wore glasses, and I... But, but, but here's the thing. I said to my daughter recently, she, she has to wear glasses. And she, she came home and she had her new pair of glasses. I said, I'm sorry, Caitlin. It's going to be fine. And she's like, why are you sorry? Cool people wear glasses now. I said, there are kids in middle school, she tells me. They're actually getting glasses and they don't have prescriptions because cool people wear glasses now. Turns out Spider-Man is also cool now. So how is it that I was born in an era where wearing glasses and reading Spider-Man was something that nerds and outcasts did and now the cool kids do it? There's something wrong, God. Why didn't you cause me to be born today, not back then? <laughs> but this glasses-wearing Spider-Man and reading kid wasn't so cool. But I don't wear my glasses for fashion. I read them for seeing. I mean, I want to see. If, I, if, I, if, they, if they slide down here, I can't, the focal length is off, I can't see. So I 
have to adjust them. So I'm right now the, uh, still the interim pastor of a church called Moody Church in Chicago. It's a fascinating church. It's 150 years old. Some of you heard of Moody Church. 150-year-old church, the oldest still existing megachurch in the whole world. And um, I, Warren Wearsby was there, Harry Ironside, Erwin Lutzer recently retired. So for two years I've been the interim which is longer than two of their actual pastors were pastor of the church. So I'm not, I'm saying at some point this interim just keeps going on and on. But one of the weird things that happens in an old established church is that people have been in and out of that church for, I mean, you got 80-year-olds who went there as a kid. You got 100-year-olds who went there as a kid. And all of them have sort of seen the different expressions of the church. It changes over time. And people are feel free to give you their opinions about this. So I get letters a lot from people who haven't been to church in thir- the, 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 to that church for 30 years, and they send me a letter, uh, com- may sometimes complaining, sometimes saying nice things. But I got this one letter. I want to share it with you. It's so, it's so awesome. Here it is on the screen. You can take a look at it. This is just, I took a snapshot of it. I haven't edited it at all. It says, I listened to your August 13th sermon at Moody Church Online. Praise God, someone's watching online. How cool is that? After listening to it once, which tells me he listened again, so I started to get excited. I listened again because I was awestruck. There's that word. He's actually awestruck. Praise God with the number of times you adjusted your glasses while preaching. So the second time, which perhaps implies there's a third time to come, I don't know. So the second time I listened, which technically he wasn't listening, he was watching. I listened. I saw... That in the first 36 minutes of your sermon, you adjusted your glasses 74 times. And then you took them off, so I did count it no further. It appears at this point, he leaves the room, goes, gets a calculator, and comes back and says, this was an average once every 30 seconds. But keep in mind, this is an incomplete count because some of the time scripture or your sermon was on the screen and I could not see you. (laughs) This is real stuff. This isn't a pastor story. This really happened. I tell you this in Christian love. They all say that at some point. Because I know you're interested in being aware of anything that may distract listeners from hearing what you are preaching, teaching. So I hope you will accept this knowing that I want your ministry to be as effective for Christ as possible. (laughs) I don't adjust my glasses for any other reason then, so I can see. Because when I move around, like you who have glasses, you know your glasses sort of slide down, they get out of focus, and then what do you do? You adjust them. That's how it works in the world of glasses. <laughs> but he meant well, and I actually bought a little product called NerdWax. You put in there, it reduces the number. Now, I know some of you right now, I know some smart aleck is saying, I'm going to go up after church and tell him how many times he adjusted his glasses. Just get that out of the way right now. Don't come up afterwards and tell me that. But here's the thing I want you to see. I have to adjust my glasses because I need to see properly. Over time, glasses, they slip, they get out of focus and more. Let me tell you, the Christian life is a lot like that. 
We're given new lenses through which to see the world because we've got a new life in Christ. We've got a new lens so we can take a new look. And, but what happens is our life gets tied up with social media or, or, or arguments and dis, dissatisfaction at work or we're discipled by cable news and we need somebody in some group to get together and say, let's readjust our lenses. Let's see the world the way Jesus wants us to. And that changes how we react. I'm very passionate about this. I want you to notice that, man, when you look at spiritual maturity and social media, those two things don't seem to have a lot in common. When you look at spiritual maturity, you see people who have made it a priority. They've been devoted to community, community that breaks bread, has fellowships, pray, and more, and that community shapes them. Rhythms of life, as we're with others in community, the rhythms of life shape us. Number three in our outline, rhythms of life create consistency of character. Rhythms of life create consistency of character. Listen to what it says. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, rhythms of life create consistency of character, right? And we see this change, and, and it seems to me that... that when this is written, Luke wants to make the emphasis. He's, he's telling us about some environments, right? There's the temple. That's religious space. Maybe that's the equivalent of this today. This is not a temple. Our body's a temple, but we gather together in a large space here, right? And then there's the home, right? They went from the temple and from house to house. There's the home. And then, so there's the religious space of the temple and the personal space of the home, but then there's the public space. They had favor with all the people. Can I just tell you? If we want to have favor with the people, if we want to engage the world, the answer is not to get more angry on social media, to get more angry on radio. It's not to get more angry with our coworkers. It's to show and share the love of Jesus to them. And it's an angry time, sisters and brothers. We ought not join in. Because there's a temple, religious space. There's the home, personal space. And favor with all the people talks about how we, or maybe implies about how we engage the public space. And that's partly being around people. Now, to let you know, I've become very, very passionate about this. And Pastor Rick encouraged me to share with you uh, that this week I actually have a new book coming out. Here's a picture of it here. It's called Christians in the Age of Outrage, uh, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its Worst. Since this is my church away from church, my home away from home, he encouraged me to share that with you. You can't get it today, but and actually, what is it, October 2nd, so two days from now, it, it, it's, it's out. And in there, I try to encourage people to, to live differently in the midst of a divided world, to not join in, but to join with other believers and have our lives shaped and changed by the power of the gospel, which leads us to number four in our outline. A discipled community engages a divided community. Don't miss that, right? See, we're talking from the beginning, the church is to be a counterculture community for the good of the broader community. God brings us together and sends us out. There's a rhythm of life, right? A discipled community engages a divided community. Let's look what happens. Verse 47, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So don't miss this, right? It doesn't mean the world's always going to like us, always going to love us, but it does mean we don't engage in worldly ways, but having moved from sitting in rows to sitting in circles, having been now shaped by our gospel community, we now live as those who are different. We're not being discipled by our cable news or our social media. We're being discipled by the church. We're being discipled by reading the scriptures. We're being discipled by being in community. And I know we already do so much of that. 
I launched a new radio program three weeks ago, national radio program. Um, and I had some fun. So my third weekend, so I had uh, Tim Keller and Beth Moore, two well-known guests the last two weeks. And, but this Saturday, I had my favorite guest so far. You know what his name is? Rick Blackwood. Yes. Maybe you heard of him. And we had a great time talking about preaching and teaching and more, but he kept talking about you. And radio waits for no man. So we're kind of coming up on a break, and Blackwood's got more to say about you. So he starts talking about, I talk about preaching, he starts, let me talk about how people engage in our church. And they're, they're taking notes, and they're going home reading the Bible, and talks about them being in small groups, and I'm kind of keeps going. I'm like, come on, we're coming up on a break, it's a break. And he keeps going, he keeps going. And finally I'm like, no, no, you got to stop, you got to stop, we got to land this plane. You know why? Because Rick Blackwood loves this church, because this church loves the gospel. Well, I don't want you to miss this. The way that's lived out is not just you listening to Rick's preaching. But you move, moving from sitting in rows to sitting in circles, moving from association to participation in one another's lives, a discipled community engaging a divided community. Look at Acts 20.20. 20. It says they went publicly and from house to house. That's what we're doing here. This is a public gathering. All of our campuses together, thousands and thousands of people. It's a public gathering. But then we go from house to house. We are sent into the world, and the world is divided right now. And the answer for all of us is to move into deeper community. Now, here's the numbers at our church, right? About 60% of you already are at some level, though right now we're kind of in a season when we're starting back uh, from where some of you might have taken a pause in the summertime. So about 60% on an ongoing basis of our adults are involved in small groups, and that's good. But our goal is actually 88%. You say, why is that a goal? Why does that even matter? Here's why it matters. Because that means there's 40% of our church that's primarily connected to this church by association. They have a time, and they go to a service number, and that's what they do. And I just flew across the country through Pensacola in fear of death and didn't talk to anybody about the struggle we were in. And I don't want that to be you. See, sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I, you know, I had a difficulty, and no one from the church was there to help. And I, and I ask them, just if it's appropriate and if I can in a way that's helpful, I say, well, how did your small group respond? And of all the years, I've been a pastor for 30 years, of all the years, no one has ever said to me, well, my small group didn't respond. What they have always said is, I never got in a small group. Now, here's the deal. If you're coming to Christ Fellowship in one of our campuses, and you're basically coming in and coming out, you might as well be on an airplane with strangers but that's not what this church is supposed to be. When you say, I love my church, you know your pastor loves you. I know you love your pastor. When you say, I love my church, it ought not to be, I love the music and the preaching, because you can do all that at home. But it ought to be something more. When I say, I love my church, I'm thinking about the 10 people that I see, the 15 people that I engage with, the 15 people that engage with my life on a regular basis. When I say, I love my church, it ought to resemble the New Testament, not just showing up for a show. And that takes effort on your part and mine. It's hard. It's, it, it, it's hard. There are obstacles. Some of you have been hurt. You know what's the answer to the church hurt that you've had? You know what helps heal the church hurt? The church. I know that's a strange thing. 
But when you get in community with others, I'm in community with others. I meet regularly with a group of people. I pray with them. They pray for me. Uh, We go through hard times and good times together. Why? Because we're not just a cordial church. We're not just a caring church. We're a carrying church. Galatians 6, 2, we are carrying one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, the church is a counterculture. It's different than the world. It's a counterculture community for the good of the broader community. But this happens best, and in a church our size, primarily through groups. And then what happens, my favorite Bible verse comes forward, is John 20, 21. Then what happens, it says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus is speaking, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, we're sent with others. We're not sent alone. You know, even when he put together the ark, they came two by two, seven by seven. We don't go alone. We go with others, and the others are in our lives and are praying for us and encouraging us, and when we're struggling, they're calling, and we're in a difficulty. They're helping. We're not just a cordial church. We're not even just a caring church. We're a a carrying church, and a discipled community engages a divided community. So the question you have to ask is, how do you respond Well, there's a few ways. First, if you're not a follower of Jesus, all this talk of community may be a little strange to you. I want to invite you to become part of the family of God, the community of believers. And you do that by trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. By saying, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and my Lord. And I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. I give you the opportunity to respond that way. For some of you, you're already in a group. And praise God for that. Can I encourage you to continue to walk in that journey and go deeper? The writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Get in that community. Serve through that community. Bring others to that community. Make that a part of the priority of your life. i got to tell you, I'm actually closer to Christians in communities than I am to some members of my own family. Because I come from a family that's mostly non-Christians, and my spiritual family stands in sometimes where my physical family's not. And I bet that's true for some of you as well. Dig deeper with that. And then... For those of you who are not in a community of any sort, can I just tell you, and I recognize there might be other communities than the kind we're talking about here, but can I just ask you to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? If 40% of us go to a large church but are unengaged in small community, that means we're not being shaped and discipled. Now, i got to tell you, there's a whole community with all kinds of people on the other side of this screen that's happy to shape and disciple you, but they're not discipling you in the way of Christ. Now, mind you, there are certainly Christians there, and our church is engaged in social media more. We're not anti those things, but we are pro-engaging community, not just electrons and avatars, but feet and faces in community with other believers. I want to encourage you. You saw a video today. You've heard a message today. Last week, we talked about it. Don't leave here today if you're not involved in community without saying, yes, I want to move from sitting in rows to sitting in circles. I want to move from association to participation. I just don't want this to be a plane ride with strangers. I want this to be a community of Christ followers. So I want to give you the opportunity to pray and to respond to how God's speaking to your heart today. Would you bow with me? Father, as we bow our heads together, we acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that we weren't intended to live this Christian life alone. It's not a solo trip. This is not a solo ride. Father, would you remind us that you've given us a community of others to go on this journey with? Father, I pray for those who are here today who are not involved in a group of any kind. Father, that you, your Holy Spirit, not me, not someone who spoke about last week, not somebody cajoling them or anything else, but your Holy Spirit might speak to them now and guide them what you'd have them to do next. If that's you, just with your head bowed and eyes closed, everyone around us is praying. 
If that's you, can I just encourage you not to leave this campus today without talking to somebody outside or fill out that little card that's in your program and say, I want to take another step to community. I'm not just on a plane ride with strangers. I'm in a community of Christ followers. Father, burden those that you're calling to be deeper community today. If you're here today and you're in a small group, can you pray for your small group right now? Say, Lord Jesus, strengthen my group. Strengthen its outreach. Strengthen its depth. Cause me to be the kind of person who loves and encourages others in that group. Just pray for your group. And if you're not a Christian, you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to be a part of this community, the family of God, the community of believers. And if that's a prayer of your heart, you can pray with us. Just pray this simple prayer. It's a prayer of your heart. Say, say, Lord Jesus, just silently to the Lord, wherever you are, whatever campus, if you're watching and worshiping online, say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I trust you as Savior and Lord. I receive the new life you've given me. I step into the new family where you have placed me. And I say I'm a child of God through the work of Christ on the cross. And Father, I pray for those who just prayed with me to trust and follow Jesus, Lord, that you would indeed give them just a few moments of courage, just 15 seconds of raw courage to share this with us by a card or somebody meeting somebody after the service and say, I'm a part of the community of believers. Now I need to be a part of a specific community of believers. Father, for all of your people, minister to us today in the quietness of this moment that we might respond to how you're prompting us this day. Father, I do pray for those of us who maybe find our lives discipled by our by our cable news network or by our or by our social media. Father, I pray that you might change our hearts and we might be discipled by the word of God, led by the spirit of God in community with the people of God. And that what we say on social media, what we say to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers might look more like Jesus and not so much like what the world would say. Father, we yield ourselves to you. Call us to deeper community. For all of us, help us to move from association to participation so we might know you in relationship as we know others. As our campus pastors come, I want to give you the opportunity, just in the quietness of this moment, to respond to how God's speaking to your heart. Lord Jesus, as they come, honor yourself, Jesus, in our lives as we do so with others. We hope that you enjoyed that message as much as we did. If you want to take your next step as a believer, let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.